So uh, you are invited to come out. The youth groups will be rolling that night. So we have uh, youth groups for preschool, grade school, and of course Reveal for junior high and senior high. And then don't forget that Super Start is just around the corner. We've got 22 grade school students, fourth and fifth graders, signed up from our church. Very important meeting two weeks from today at 1040 in the Family Life Center for all sponsors, but also the parents of students that are going on that trip. I want to share a prayer request with you that um, has kind of been unfolding in the last couple days. I'd like you to pray for Troy Lee. Some of you will know that name. Many of you may not. He is uh, from Wapella, Illinois, really awesome Christian man. His son Jacob comes to a lot of our youth ministry events, and he is currently in intensive care at Broman. Uh, very, very serious uh, health situation, and I'm not going to share a lot of details, but I just need you to pray for him, for his wife Shelly, his children Whitney and uh, Jacob during this really, really difficult time in their lives. Just pray that God will heal and that God will show his greatness. Also want you to pray, Dana alluded to uh, our partners in ministry on the East Coast. Uh, Two of our Timothys, Jim Turney in Connecticut and Carson Cheatham in Rhode Island, lived through the blizzard of a lifetime. I'm talking 30 inches of snow. Um, All all of the Christian churches out there that I'm aware of in Rhode Island and Connecticut and even some in Massachusetts canceled their services for today. And they are um, praying that they'll have an opportunity through this uh, incredible storm to uh, share the good news of Jesus with people that are hurting, with people that are cold with people that uh, are, are facing some challenges because of that. So I want to pray, pray for, uh, for Troy Lee and also pray for our partners in ministry on the East Coast, and then we'll dive into John chapter 10. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today, and I just come to you right now, and I pray that you be with Troy and that you bring healing to his body and that, uh, that you just show your greatness during this time. And I thank you so much for this family that loves you so much and, and has served you for years and years and years. And just pray that you bless Shelly and Whitney and Jacob during this time as well. And um, it's just so difficult sometimes when, um, when we're faced with uh, unexpected health crisis. And we just pray, uh, just pray for healing during this, this difficult, difficult time. Pray that you be with Jim Turney in Connecticut and Carson Cheatham in Rhode Island. Jerry Dusenberry with North Point Christian Church. Tanner Green with South Point Christian Church. That um, you just continue to, to work in them and through them and that through this, uh, this blizzard that they'll have opportunities to share Jesus with uh, the most unchurched region in our country. And uh, we thank you most of all for the hope that your son Jesus brings us. And I just pray that they have opportunity after opportunity after t- opportunity to be just an ambassador of hope in your name. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 10, and I didn't look up in the Pew Bible. I think it's in the neighborhood of like 1061, 1062 in your Pew Bible, but we have been studying um, the I Am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John, and if you're new with us or you've missed the last several weeks, all year long, that's what we're doing, we're looking at Jesus. And we're going to be in the Gospels and we're going to be in the other books in the New Testament looking at what Jesus, um, what, what teachings about Jesus exist from people like Paul and Peter and James and John and others. But for now, for nine weeks, we're looking at the I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Jesus said in John, I am the bread of life. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. You are the branches. And this is week five of our study, and this is the fourth I am statement that we're going to look at. And we've looked at I am the bread of life. We've looked at I am the light. 
of the world, uh, the woman caught in adultery, John 8. We've looked at I am the light of the world last week, the man born blind. And this week we get to John chapter 10, I am the gate. But before we dive in, um, I know there's some, uh, some vacation days, holidays coming up for our students. And I thought in, in honor of that, we would do a quiz this morning. How's that sound? We like quizzes, don't we, around here. This is a, a, an easy quiz, and you're going to just totally be guessing on one of these. But here are the three questions on your quiz for this morning. Number one, what is the percentage of evangelical Christians that believe in multiple paths to eternal life? What number of evangelical Christians believe there is more than one way to God the Father? Number two, which of our verses this morning, there's only 10, so you got a, a 10% chance if you just guess, which of our verses is one of the most misinterpreted of the New Testament scriptures? And finally, what's the confusing concept in this verse? And don't put the answers up just yet, Ben. I want to play a little game and see how we do as a church. So um, what percentage of evangelicals believe there's more than one way to the Father? What do you think? Too many. Good answer. That's the right answer. What do you think? 20%, 25%, 40%, what? 86%, okay. Survey says 57%. Of evangelical Christians believe that there is more than one way to God the Father. There was a a survey that was done not long ago by the Pew Research Group. They surveyed 35,000 adults. That's a lot of people, by the way. And they found that 66% of Protestants believe there's more than one way to God the Father. 79% of Catholics believe there exists more than one way to heaven. Overall, 70% of Americans who consider themselves religious say there are multiple paths to God the Father. And Michael Lindsay of Rice University writes this. He says, the survey shows religion in America is indeed 3,000 miles wide and about three inches deep. And he continues, he says, there's a growing pluralistic impulse toward tolerance, and that is having theological consequences. And if you think that this is crazy, and that's not the case in DeWitt County, or maybe you work in Bloomington or Decatur, um, try this little uh, object lesson this week. In the break room at lunchtime, or in the cafeteria between classes, Just say, I believe that only people that follow Jesus Christ are going to heaven. And just see what the reaction is. You'll be pretty surprised by some of the things that you hear. By some of the names that you might be called. You'll probably be told that you're intolerant. You might even be told that you're engaging in hate speech. Um, We live in an interesting, interesting time. Okay, which of our verses is one of the most interpreted of all New Testament scriptures? What do you think? Verse 10 is the answer. Verse 10. Good job, Greg Coins. You were at first service, though, weren't you? You cheated! How about that? Came back for another Greg Taylor sermon. That's scary in itself. Okay, verse 10. Well, what's confusing? I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That sounds good, doesn't it? I can have life and life to the full. What, what's confusing about that? Well, here's the confusing part of it. Exactly what, what is at the end of it, this concept of having life Life to the full, the abundant life. See, there are churches meeting right now, not far from our building. I'm going to say maybe within a 20 to 30 mile radius where you could go and you could hear a preacher and he would be dressed much better than I am, more than likely. And he probably lives in a house a lot bigger than mine and drives in a car a lot nicer than I drive. And he would let you know that if you just love Jesus more, you could 
be a millionaire as well. And you could live in an incredibly big house and drive an incredibly big car. It's called the health and wealth gospel. You can find it on your television, I guarantee you, but you can find it preached and proclaimed right here in central Illinois. And I believe that Jesus did come to bring us the full life or the abundant life, but I don't think it has anything to do with cars or houses or worldly success. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. See, there are many other preachers um, who would say that that's just crazy, that concept, the health and wealth gospel. And one of those was one of my mentors in life, the late Dr. Bob Lowry. He wrote a great response to the health and wealth gospel. It's entitled Idolatry and Greed, Exposing the Health and Wealth Gospel from 2007. And I made copies of this. If you're interested in reading his critique of the health and wealth gospel, it's at the Welcome Center. And if we run out of them, let me know and I can send you one electronically or have Peggy make a copy of it and get it to you. Well, with that, let's just dive in. Let's read God's Word together. John chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. We're going to read the first 10 verses. John records these words from Jesus. He says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of a sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 7, therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And this morning, there's really four lessons that I want us to learn from these first ten verses of John chapter 10. And lesson number one is this, many options promising life are before us. Many options promising life are before us. You don't have to be a a seminary-educated genius or a graduate student to be able to decipher that there's all kinds of promises being offered, promises of life like you can never imagine. I I recently have started, uh, as I shared with you on the New Year's message that I would do this, I've started doing the body pump at the YMCA and just, just hoping that I can get in shape, just hoping that my little pencil arms, you know, may just get a little bit of muscle on them in many ways. And, and I've learned a couple things in this whole process. One, man, am I out of shape. That's the first thing that I've learned. But number two, you know, there is no easy path to what they call a beach body or to really being in great shape or really being cut. I won't be in any magazines anytime soon, let me tell you. But if I were to read some magazines... If I were to watch some infomercials, it's just so easy to believe that I can have the greatest body I could possibly want to have if I just believe. Money is promised to bring us happiness and satisfaction and joy. And man, some of the most miserable people I know are some of the wealthiest. See, there are many options promising life and joy and fulfillment before us. But only Jesus delivers 
the real deal. See, verses 1 through 6 of our text, it's actually a parable. And when we think parable, we think the, the parable of the prodigal son, or we think the parable of the good Samaritan, or maybe the parable of the sower. But Jesus is telling us a parable in verses 1 through 6, and he's letting us know that there are many different forces at work in life. Some are entering the pen through deceptive practices, climbing in the pen in a way other than the gate. And then there's the shepherd, Jesus says, the man who enters through the gate. You look at the term being used for the deceivers, thief, robber, stranger, they're not positive terms. Jesus is pointing out an obvious contrast between the shepherd and everyone else. In in three weeks, we're going to study John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There are many options that are out there. There are many paths that claim to bring happiness and satisfaction and joy and fulfillment. But if I were to summarize lesson one, here's what it is. The gate that Jesus talks about means separation. The gate means separation. Lesson number two that Jesus tells us is simply that Jesus leads us to the Father. Jesus leads us to the Father. He says it in verse 7. He says it again in verse 9. He says, I am the gate. Jesus leads us to the Father. He is the way. He is the gate. Some translations say he is the door. Now, this should be really simple, but even within mainstream Christianity, my guess is even some of you sitting here today, that that seems confusing to you. And you wonder, should I really believe that? Is that really politically correct? Am I going to sound like a Jesus freak if I start believing that? Can there really only be one way? Is that legitimate? Max Lucado is one of my favorite authors, and he wrote an excellent book, 316 Stories of Hope. And in it, he illustrates the odd nature of the statement that we've all heard uttered, all religions lead to God. He writes, all roads lead to heaven? Well, the sentence makes good talk show fodder, but does it make any sense? Can all approaches to God be correct? How can all religions lead to God when they are so different? We don't tolerate such logic in other matters. He writes, we don't pretend that all roads lead to London or all ships sail to Australia. All flights don't lead to Rome. Imagine your response to a travel agent who proclaims that they do. You tell her you need a flight to Rome, Italy. So she looks on her screen and says, well, there's a flight to Sydney, Australia at 6 a.m. But does it go to Rome, you ask? No, But it offers great food, and it's got an excellent movie this month. But I need to get to Rome, you say. So she follows up by saying, well, let me suggest Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines goes to Rome? Since when? No, it doesn't go to Rome, but it wins awards for its on-time arrival. You're really getting frustrated now. So you reiterate, I need one airline that will carry me to one place, Rome, Italy. The agent now seems offended and replies, Sir, all flights go to Rome. Well, you know better. Different flights have different destinations. That's not a thick-headed conclusion, but it's an honest one. Every flight does not go to Rome. Every path does not lead to God the Father. And the point that Jesus is making is that he is the gate. 
He is the door. He is the way to the Father. And if he were to summarize, he might say the gate means decision. The gate means decision. I love how worshiping friendly modern Christianity is. I love the fact that all are welcome. That's how it should be. I love that we preach the truth about God's grace and God's hope and the joy of being a Christ follower. But I think in some ways we've made it almost too fan-friendly. We've not exposed the truth that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, whoever you are, even if you've been in the church your whole life, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have a decision to make. There's a choice to be made. You're either in or you're out. You can't straddle the fence. You can't be half in, half out. The gate means decision. Number three, Jesus offers a personal connection. Now this third lesson is just as important. And it involves how Jesus is the gate. What type of gate, what type of door he is. Verse nine, he says, whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever enters through me will be saved. See, Jesus offers a personal connection. One of the things that I I love to do every year is lead a week of church camp at Little Galilee with fifth and sixth grade students. And one of the things, if I had maybe a, a most important priority among all others, it's to help fifth grade students and sixth grade students understand it's not about religion, it's about having a relationship with Jesus. Because far too many people wearing the label Christian in 2013 are all about religion and doing religious things. And it's not about religion. It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I grew up um, during kind of not the greatest era of Christian music. Um, We had what we called Christian rock, but looking back on it, I don't know if Jim would agree or not, but I don't think it was really great music. But I loved listening to Mylon Lefevre growing up. He was uh, one of my heroes in many ways. And I read an interesting illustration about him written by a a preacher friend of his. And here's what he writes. He says, Mylon Lefevre grew up in a gospel music family. He was one of those guys that was in church every night of the week, singing and playing and talking about Jesus. At the age of 17, he wrote the song Without Him, and Elvis recorded it and made Mylon a lot of money. Most of it, his friend writes, was spent on cocaine. At the age of 19, Mylon recorded a Christian rock and roll album and began touring with a band. On stage, he preached Jesus, but backstage, he lived the stereotypical rock and roll lifestyle, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And this went on for a number of years until Milan finally came to the end of his rope. In desperation, he cried out to Jesus. He called out to Jesus. And the next day, he said to a friend, I've been singing about Jesus all my life, but last night I met him for the very first time. See, after that, Milan's music pretty much stayed the same, but his life really changed. He exchanged his career as a musician for a career in ministry. He exchanged a religion for a relationship with Jesus Christ because that's what following Jesus is all about. It's a relationship. And I want you to think about Judgment Day, a day when you're going to stand before God the Father and give an account for your life. Now, we don't like to think about that. We just want to do the grace thing and the hope thing and the happy thing and the heaven thing, but we will all stand before God the Father someday. And if you are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not going to go well. Good's not going to be good enough, quite honestly. But for those of you who are Christ followers, 
for those of you who can say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, he will make a personal intervention on your behalf. And the case before the Father won't be he was good enough or she did enough good deeds in life. The conversation will go something like that. He's mine. She's mine. He's with me. She's with me. Jesus offers a personal connection unlike any other. John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And to summarize, I would say the gate means separation. The gate, excuse me, salvation. The gate means salvation. Long morning. Number four, we're moving on. Jesus brings the full or abundant life. That's our fourth and final lesson. Jesus brings the full abundant life. And in verse 10, he just simply comes, I've come to bring you life and life to the full. Some translations, your text might read, I've come to bring you the abundant life. And here we see the purpose of Jesus coming to earth to bring life and to bring life to the full. So to summarize that, I would say the gate means abundance. I like that word abundance. I, I, I love abundance. I love to have a lot of something. I have one of those Keurig coffee brewers, and I can't have enough K-cups. My wife will attest to that. If my drawer's like half empty, I want to buy four or five boxes because I like to have a lot. What if a blizzard hits, right? I mean, you want to be prepared in many ways. We love abundance, and Jesus offers the ultimate abundance, but it may not be what you think it is. So let's do a word study on the word life. There are three Greek words that we translate life in English. They are the words psyche, bios, and zoe. Psyche means the soul, bias means the physical life, and zoe means new life, spirit. And, and the word that's used here in John 10.10, 10, it's actually used 36 times in the Gospel of John, is the word zoe. See, when you were born, you experienced bias, a physical life, and you experienced psyche, a, a physical life and soul. But when you become a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus Christ, you experience zoe. It's a new life, a life that's not limited to life on this earth, a life through a relationship with Jesus Christ that will last through all of eternity. So when Jesus says, I've come to bring you zoe, I've come to bring you life, and zoe to the full, life to the full, that's a promise to grab a hold of. That's a promise to embrace. But there's a lot of confusion in modern-day Christianity about what exactly the abundant life is. What is this zoe that Jesus spoke about? And what I want to do is kind of debunk what I think is bad theology. And the first thing I want to do is tell you what the abundant life is not. There's several things that the abundant life is not. And number one, the abundant life is not a promise of limited or no problems at all in this life. It's just not. The storms of life will probably visit you. Some of you could raise your hand right now and you could say, I'm going through a storm of life right now. Ten of the twelve disciples that followed Jesus, they left it all for the sake of the call and ten of the twelve died martyrs' deaths. Peter was crucified upside down. These were awful, heinous acts of persecution and every single one of them didn't flinch. But to say that if you just love Jesus more, you'll never have trouble in this life, it's just crazy. It's bad theology. It's not true. Secondly, the abundant life is not a promise of health or wealth in this life. It's just not. How do you explain Troy Lee? 48 years old, loved Jesus with all his heart. 
serving the Lord at First Christian Church together. How do you explain that? Did he just need to love Jesus more? Well, of course not. That's crazy. I could share 15 illustrations of people that love Jesus unconditionally, and their health is terrible. Their health is awful. The abundant life is not the promise that you'll never get sick. It's not the promise that you'll always be wealthy. Now, some of us are wealthy, and some of us maybe not so much. I would remind you that if God has blessed you with wealth, use it for his glory. You can make a huge difference for the kingdom with your wealth. But the preacher that stands up and says, if you just love Jesus more, hundreds of thousands of dollars are coming your way. That's not a biblical concept. And then finally, the abundant life is not a promise of worldly success in this life. See, I know hundreds of committed followers of Christ who have not ever experienced what we would call worldly success. I know people who clean toilets for a living, probably one of the most thankless jobs you could have. And number one, they love to serve the Lord through their job. And number two, they're not saying, oh Lord, why me? They're saying, Lord, here I am. Use me. The abundant life is not a promise of worldly success in this life. So what is the abundant life, you may ask? Well, I've given you three word pictures that I think really summarize this this life to the full that Jesus talked about. And number one is this, the abundant life is a life of grace. It's a life of grace. It's a life that says when a medical tragedy comes our way, when I lose my job, when my kid goes off the deep end and goes prodigal, when, when, when my financial world is crumbling, God's grace is sufficient for me. See, the Apostle Paul, when he became a Christ follower, man, he faced all kinds of persecution. He was beaten. He was stoned. And I don't mean the marijuana kind. I mean they took stones and tried to kill him. He had all kinds of terrible things happen to him. Some of you are just now getting it. It's okay to laugh. It's okay. You can laugh in church. But at the end of his life, in his most encouraging book that he ever wrote, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, He said three times, I just begged God to take away this thorn in the flesh. And he didn't take it away, but instead he gave him a great promise. That's a promise for you and for me today. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. The abundant life, it's a life of grace. When the storms of life visit, the grace of God gets us through. Secondly, the abundant life, it's a life of hope. It's a life of hope. The full life brings hope both in this world and especially the life to come. Right now, my Sunday school class, we're journeying through the book of Hebrews. And on Wednesday nights, we're just starting a study through the seven churches in Asia Minor in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And the cool thing about both Hebrews and Revelation is they both are books that are chalked full with the promise of hope that Jesus Christ brings. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, whoever he is, we're not even sure who wrote it, but he is begging first century Jewish Christians that are thinking about throwing in the towel spiritually. He begs them to stand firm because of the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And in Revelation, John, if I were to summarize the book of Revelation, here's what John says, we know how the story ends. We know how the story ends. We who are in Christ, we win. That's hope. That's incredible, incredible hope. And then finally, the abundant life, thirdly, is a life in heaven. It's a life in heaven. And I'm convinced that this is really what Jesus speaks of 
in, in verse 10. I believe without a doubt life on this earth is better with Jesus than without him. But when you talk about the full life, when you talk about the abundant life, it's the eternal life that Jesus Christ provides for his followers. The message translation of John chapter 10. Here's what Eugene Peterson has written. He says, Jesus, quoting Jesus, I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And when I think of the full life, when I think of the abundant life that Jesus promises, I love that last half sentence, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Bottom line, Jesus is the gate to the full life. So stealing the little tag phrase from the milk carton, do you got Jesus? It's not good English, but it's a question every single one of us has to answer. Do you got Jesus? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And I thank you for Jesus Christ, your son. And I thank you for the the opportunity this last month and into next month to be able to study what Jesus said about himself. And we are just so thankful that he is the gate. He is the door that leads to life. I thank you so much for, for your plan, your only plan. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It is uh, commitment time, invitation time, as it is every Sunday here at our church. And if uh, Jesus is not the Lord of your life, I invite you this morning to come forward. Give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you're not really into the whole public thing, see me after service. Or call me this week. Call, Call any of our ministry staff members. Jim, Adam, Kent. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We, we also, during this time every week, offer the opportunity to pray for you. We've talked about the storms of life, and I know some of us, men we're in the storms of life. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, I'm up front. Cody Monkman's up front. He'd be happy to pray with you as well as we stand and Jim leads us and the team leads us in our song of commitment. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees, oh Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things, oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Oh God.
And oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, and oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. Man, I want to thank you for worshiping with us today. Um, if you're a visitor, I'd love to have the chance to meet with you. If we've never met, please, uh, please take the time to come up and say hello. I'll be up front for a couple minutes and then heading to the mission trip meeting in the Family Life Center. I've got one more quiz question for you today. What does deer, moose, raccoon, rattlesnake, and skunk all have in common? Come to the Wild Game Feast tomorrow night and you'll find out. I'm just kidding. There's no skunk. Relax. I'm just joking. But in all seriousness, we do have, it's about our 7th or 8th annual Wild Game Potluck. It's tomorrow night at 6.30. You're invited to come out. We ask that you bring a dish to, to, to pass and to share. But it's a great time of fellowship. Kelly Riggs and his crew are uh, in charge this year. And Adam Brucker is going to share a, a devotion with us. It's going to be a really, really good evening. I've asked Cody Monkman to have our closing prayer, close our service in a time of prayer. Cody? All right, will you bow with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for giving us another day to uh, remind us of what this life is all about. Uh, God, our, our weeks can be busy, can be hectic, and things can kind of become a fog for us. And we get distracted, and we, and we kind of sometimes walk away from maybe what you have for us. God, I pray, too, to, uh, to thank you uh, for being able to provide the abundant life, uh, the hope, uh, the grace that your son offered on the cross. I thank you for that. And I pray that as we go about our weeks, as we leave here, that we will remember that grace and that hope. And that we will be in tune with your spirit. And wherever your spirit leads us, that we will share that grace and that hope with our neighbor, our coworker, our children, our parents. God, I pray that we will find that peace and rest when times get tough. That we will lean on your son for guidance. It's in your name we pray. Amen.